0: i 'm so excited this morning to invite and introduce my friend uh, David Bormer to you uh, i 've known David for probably a little over a decade, and um, David serves as the national Director for Apex missions, which is an extension of our uh, of our global outreach, which is part of our um, part of our national um, missions uh, within the Evangelical free church and uh, in addition to that he also serves as the next gen director in our district and so I have opportunity to serve with him both on national and district levels and um, he's a guy who loves the Lord he's got a heart for the next generation and he's got a heart for equipping believers to be mobilized for the kingdom of God and he's he's went all in on Christ in his life and uh, God's given him a message and and an ability to inspire people uh, to follow Christ's call for his life, and so I know you're going to be blessed today. I pray you. I know you're going to be challenged today, and um, we're so thankful to have him. So let's give a warm welcome to David Borma. Good morning. Can you take this with you? Yeah.
1: Thank you. When you're, uh, when one of your bosses calls and says, "I'm tired, I'm old, I don't want to preach anymore on this Sunday," you have to say yes. So. Um, It is really good to be here with you. Like Tony said, I get the privilege of leaving Apex Missions. It's part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. We stand right in between the local church like you and the global missionaries that are all over the world. And so we get the privilege of coming and hanging out with young people and and, uh, helping them discern whether or not God's asking them to take a next step towards full-time ministry, especially with Reach Global and taking the gospel from here to everywhere. So our team gets to do that. We have a great time doing that. Uh, My wife can't be here with you. She sends her greetings. She's watching online. Hi, honey. Uh, And uh, we live in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I was a youth pastor uh, in Hershey for a number of years. We've got two boys, Tyler, who's 22. Uh, He's, I think, I think he's a junior. Uh, He started college during COVID. Who knows, right? Um, And so, uh, but he's a a math major at at Westchester University, just south of Philly, and just loving that. And uh, our other son, Will, is about to turn 20, and uh, he lives at our house. Uh, He pays rent, and uh, he works full-time full-time as a HVAC uh, installer and technician. So when our air conditioning goes down, he gets to help us with that for free. Um, And uh, well, Shauna couldn't be here, so I brought one of my teammates Noah back here. Noah Dahl is our Latin America America director. Anything that happens with students and our missionary teams in Latin America, Noah and his wife get to deal with that and go with students. Chris is at home with their newborn, uh, Miley. They live in Wisconsin. So Noah and I are going to make the trek back to Newark somehow, some way, after church today. (laughs) Um, Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for the chance to be together as the people of God, to gather up, to encourage one another, uh, to sing your praises, to sit underneath your teaching. Lord, we invite you here by your Spirit to instruct us, to guide us, and enlighten the Word for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use me as your instrument of grace and truth today and that by your word you would teach all of us, including me and every person who hears, that as a result of being under your word, we would take the next step and follow you in obedience and offer ourselves as living sacrifice for your glory. Lord, would you use this morning for your purposes? It's in your name that we pray these things all God's people said, amen, amen. On average, you will make about 35,000 decisions a day. Did you know that 35,000 decisions per day? You will make about uh, you'll make about 225 of those decisions about food alone. Uh, Noah is already stuffing his bag with the egg, everything bagels to take b- back with him as he would say, bagel, uh, wrongly. And so, uh, but you'll make all kinds of decisions all throughout your day, what to wear, what to eat. Uh, the, and you'll make some life-defining decisions all throughout your day. Maybe some of you guys are thinking about where to go to college and what your major will be. Some of you, who you'll marry. Some of you are thinking about changing a job. Uh, all kinds of things. And mixed in there are choices on how to spend money, how to use my time, where to go on vacation, whether to buy an Android phone or an iPhone. Please do us all a favor, just use an iPhone. Um, Please, can I get an amen? I was a youth pastor at a couple different EFCA churches uh, after I, my wife and I met at V Moody, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, I was a youth pastor uh, in Ohio for uh, about 11 years. And I had to make all kinds of decisions about how to lead the student ministry and what to do. And one of the decisions that I... Um, I love and I regret at the same time is that we would take students on a high adventure camp in the center, central Pennsylvania. We'd go rock climbing, rappelling. We'd go mountain biking. We would we'd squeeze through caves and high ropes courses and all those kind of things. But one of the things that we did on those trips was whitewater rafting. Does anybody really like whitewater rafting? You're s- sick in the head. All right? Um, so... Um, but I remember uh, this camp uh, there's, there's a river just south of Pittsburgh called the Youghiogheny River, Ohio Pile maybe some of you have been there, you know it um, and so we had like seven or eight boats of students uh, they're all camping throughout the week and we load up in these boats and we start our way down the river and we get to this particular place called Dimple Rock, anybody ever been there? you don't want to go just trust me. Um, and so we pull all the boats to the side, and one of the, the guys gets up on the rock. It's about as big as the back uh, wall, and um, he, he proceeds to instruct us that if we fall out of the boat here at Dimple Rock, it will be days, maybe weeks, before we get your dead, lifeless, limp, cold body out of this underwater cave. And immediately, my wife is like, I'm out. <laughs> Walking around, portaging, uh, all these girls start crying, and, uh, you know, of course, as a youth pastor, I have to go first. And, uh, and, and also, when you're the youth pastor, you get the privilege of taking everybody in your boat that doesn't really want to be whitewater rafting, i.e., the freshman girls who are more important, more their makeup is more important than, you know, what's happening in the boat. If you've been whitewater rafting, you're instructed that when they say, left, you all row together. Row, row, row. Left, right, row, row. But when you have people who don't really care, they're just like, <laughs> your boat goes nowhere, and I'm in the front of the boat getting whacked in the back of the head by the girl behind me, her oar, because she refuses to get in sync. You know? And so I'm already sort of like, I'm done with this, right? Why did I make this decision to go on this trip? it's so, uh, you know, because we gotta go first, uh, you know we got to go. And so our guide says, we're going. I'm in the front of the boat. We're starting to head towards Dimple Rock. We've got to sort of get to the rock, then row hard, make this, this right-hand turn, glance off the rock, make a, a left-hand turn, and then you go down a waterfall, and then you're, you're clear. So that's what we do. We start heading towards the rock. I'm the only one rowing, and uh, we glance off this rock. We make the turn. We hit in this eddy, this little sh- quiet place, and I'm like, "Thank you, Lord." You know, and the girls are like, "I think we did it," and you know, taking out a mirror and checking themselves out. You know, His <laughs> boys are coming, and um, five minutes goes by. No boats coming. Seven minutes, almost ten minutes goes by. No more boats. I got seven more boats of kids. Seven more boats full of souls whose parents have entrusted me with their kids to be on this river. No boats are coming. Finally, I start to see an oar floating down the river. I see a flip-flop, you know? Uh, I see all these this, this scattering of junk coming down the river, and I notice up near Dimple Rock there are ropes being thrown, there are people swimming, they're dragging kids and putting them on rocks, and I'm like, this is not good. So uh, eventually, uh, uh, I see an empty boat starting to head my way, and um, and and I, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to tell parents. This boat starts coming towards me, and up from the front of the boat comes this little head of a girl, helmet's all crooked, you know, hair is all disheveled, and she just says, "They're all dead." <laughs> Life choices. This is, this is what I chose to do with my life. And um, spoiler alert, no one died. But what happened next uh, had me considering uh, maybe causing some of them to head towards death. Uh, because as the rest of the boats came in and everybody filed in, we stopped, we had lunch, and it was time to get back in the boat to finish the day of whitewater rafting. And the guides are like, get back in the boat. And this, this group of girls who were traumatized says, No. Not getting back in the boat. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, we're going to walk. What do you mean you're going to walk? There's no road. There's no trail. We're in, a, we're in a gorge that seems like it's 18 miles high and the, road, the nearest road's 20 miles away. You got the only way out of here is in the boat. We're not getting in the boat. What do you mean? There, there's no discussion here. You need to get back in the boat. I just remember distinctly sitting on this rock, looking out towards the river, thinking I would give anything to be anywhere but right here, right now miraculously, all of a sudden, this, uh, the, the, the guys look at me like, hey man, these are your kids. And I'm like, these are not my kids. <laughs> and they're like, well, we gotta go. I was like, do your thing. And uh, they started to use words and phrases that youth pastors are not allowed to use at these girls. I'm like... Okay. And uh, there was maybe a little bit forceful movement of these eight girls back towards this rubber raft waiting for their demise on the river. And uh, before I knew it, in about 35 seconds, we were all back in the boat. They're miserable. But I'm like, yeah, we're going. And we get down, we get back in the river and we go down. Everybody's safe. Everybody has an okay time. But at that point, I started to think, handing out stickers at Walmart is a better career choice (laughs) than being a youth pastor right now. Anybody ever been in those situations where you thought you made a good decision and you're like regretting it halfway through and there's no way out? Well, that was sort of me at that point, but I had to ask myself, uh, is this worth it? Is this worth the effort? Is this worth the aggravation? Is this a worthy cause? And I'll have to tell you that To this day, most of those girls probably don't remember the fear and trepidation. They don't remember the the fighting or the the choice words the guides had for them. But what they do remember is finishing that whitewater rafting that day and laying in the sun and just basking in the glory that they did it. They overcame their fear. I do know that most of those girls uh, um, will tell you stories of their intimate time with the Lord uh, on a solo time in the woods for three hours that week. First time they've ever spent that amount of time alone thinking and, and reading their Bibles. I know that they will recount the ways that they overcame their fear and they trusted God, and many of them are serving the Lord faithfully today. At the end of the day, those few hours in the river, while really, really frustrating and hard, were worth it. Within those 35,000 choices that we make every day, the, the, we are faced with the question most of the time. Is is this worth it? Is, Is this worthy of my attention? Is it worthy of my sacrifice? The worthiness of the end gives the rationale for the effort now. You hear that? The worthiness of the effort, the worthiness of the cause, or the worthiness of the thing that we're doing, the worthiness of the end gives the rationale for the effort that we give now. Is it worth it? Well, that river experience and countless others have marked me as a man, as a husband, as a leader, as a pastor, as a father. Those memories and those moments help me count the cost today to move forward knowing that my efforts for the kingdom are worth it. Knowing the end or the reason you're doing something motivates the will to sacrifice and informs the choices you make. John Maxwell famously put it, Life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you what you have received or what you could receive motivates the action the end if the ends don't justify the means we usually do not act actually the level of effort or sacrifice we make for something proves whether we believe that it's worth it or not right if you want to know if somebody thinks something's worth it, you'll watch and see how much effort they put towards that thing. Let me give you an example. There's a handful of people in this room who love to exercise and work out. Anybody? Want to want to admit to that? One I see sheepishly like six people raising their hands, okay? They love to watch what they eat, they love to they get out of the bed, they're ready to hit the road on that, that long run, or hit the bike, or go slinks some weights around, they, and I use this term people loosely because we all know that they're maniacs, right? Nobody actually likes to work out, you guys are just, something wrong with you. Um, then there's a bunch of people in this room who know that they should exercise, they, take, they know that they should take care of themselves, um, and that it would be wise and prudent to do so, but... Do nothing, right? You have reasons and excuses, but you're not fooling anyone. You're not a maniac. You're just misinformed. And then there are people in the room who've gotten motivated. Maybe um, you were like me, and at 36, you got a phone call from your dad, who's 57. And he tells you he has stage 4 colon cancer and only a few months to live. And so avoiding cancer is a good reason to schedule a colonoscopy. So you schedule the colonoscopy. Maybe every time you bend over to tie your shoes, you have to hold your breath because there's something in the way, um, and then when you stand back up, you're like, oh, my back, just from tying your shoes, and you think, someday I'm going to have grandkids, and if I'm going to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids, I better do something about this and this, so playing with your grandkids someday becomes a worthy reason to join a gym. So I decided that time with my family and physical ability to do so was worth my discipline and effort to be healthy. So three days a week, I'm slinging weights around and teetering on the edge of death at the CrossFit gym. Without something or someone worthy of the effort, we won't make the necessary sacrifice. Our knowledge, understanding, and insight hamstrings our effort. The lack of effort disqualifies us from the ultimate reward. Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make, makes you. Let me show you how this plays out in our walk with Christ, our walk with God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be there, but then we're going to be all over the place. It's okay if you can't keep up. I'll, start, I'll keep reading for you, and you just do your best. But Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and appropriate worship, true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, In light of all of who God is, all that he's done, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, sacrifice, when we think about that word, it's not a word that we love, right? Right? Nobody loves to sacrifice. Traditionally, when, when, we, when people would think about sacrifice, especially in, in the Old Testament and in the time of Paul, they would think about um, taking an animal, taking the animal's life, and offering that animal on an altar for, uh, for, the sin, for their sin. Every person who would hear this this verse from Paul everybody in Rome who received this letter would have a pretty good idea of what Paul is meaning when he said sacrifice but Paul flips that image on its head and he says nope don't go kill an animal you get up there you get up there as a living sacrifice to the Lord give your life lay down your plan your dreams your desires your gifts your whole self as an offering to God So just like I don't know very many people who love to work out, I don't know very many people who love to sacrifice themselves. I can't wait to die to me. I don't know, that's not something we hear very often, you know? I'm so excited to give up my plan. I can't wait to sacrifice myself, myself for others. Please, please, please don't let me sacrifice myself. That's not typically what comes up in conversation. What I do know is a lot of people, including myself, who fall into the misinformed group. We know what we ought to do, and on occasion we do the right thing and honor God, but we continually ask the question, is this worth it? Without a worthy motivation, rarely is the answer yes. But if we had a clear understanding and reminder of who God is, I'm convinced we would be more willing to respond and worship to God. In reality, instead of asking, "Is it worth it," we need to be asking the question, "Is he worthy?" Instead of asking the question, "Is it worth it?" we have to ask ourselves the question, "Do I believe that he is worthy?" Now, Paul spends the first half of his letter to the church at Rome trying to help the listener and us to the reminder of that question of, "Is God worthy?" Romans 12 is actually a transition verse, a transition point in this letter that goes from this is God from chapter 1 through the end of chapter 11 to this is how to worship God. This is how to live for God. So if you would indulge me, I just want to rewind. I want to draw your attention and remind you of what the word says about who God is, what he's done, and his worthiness. Who is God? What has he done that makes him worthy of my worship? Why should I do anything That he asks or desires. If you go to the very first pages of the scripture, God spoke, and everything we know came into being. There was a lifeless being that he had created on the ground, and when he breathed life, the lungs of this person filled with life. God is our creator. If you go all the way to the end of the, same, of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 4, it says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. He is the creator and worship is why we were created. Psalm chapter 29 verses 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. God is holy and is worthy of our praise. There is nothing deceitful, in error, sinful, wrong, out of step. Everything about God is perfect, true, right, honor. And worthy of our praise. He's holy. Psalm 100, 1 to 5 says, Shout to the Lord, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Catch this. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. We are his, he is good, his love never ends and he is faithful. He's worthy of our praise. Our worship is not only because we were, we were created by him, but we 're also motivated to worship, worship him because of what he 's done so if you look back with me and i 'm just going to blitz through it, romans chapter one through eleven here 's what you 'd see in romans chapter one and two Paul makes the the, 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 the judgment or he makes the case that All humanity, Jews and Gentiles, are sinful. And that sin demands God's judgment. If you want to flip with me to Romans chapter 3, he sums it up in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through uh, 18. He says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We're already made clear the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all have together become worthless, and there is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues to practice deceit, the poison of vipers on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, They and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's pretty bleak. There's none that's righteous, not even one. But that's not the end of the story. Hallelujah, that's not the end of the story. Because not much further in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, But apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and... Fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Catch this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. God gave his son To you and to me, for all mankind, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We just need to pause here for a second. This is not just another reason in the line of reasons that we would worship God. This is the capstone reason. This is the reason that we would give our best to the Lord. Because you and I were dead, dead in our sin. The toe tag was tied, the zipper on the bag zipped up, done, complete, no hope. Doomed for eternity apart from God, utterly lost, without hope, we're aimless, guilty, broken, ashamed, and dead. End of story. But because of God and His incredible love for us, Romans 3 says we're guilty, 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 without hope. But Romans 5, thank goodness for Romans 5, says this Romans 5, 6 through 8. And that I referenced it this already this morning, Romans five six through eight. But God demonstrates, but God demonst- just at the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That list died for the for those people. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we're still sinners, Christ died. That is the good news that we need to camp out on every day, all day. When all hope was gone, when our fate was sealed, we had nowhere to turn, God bursts onto the scene, kicks through the doors with his love for us. Let that sink in for a second. If you need any reminder of why he's worthy of your worship, remember this you and I, we're not worth it. Nothing in us provided any worth for God to kick in the doors yet he gave his son to take our place as the penalty for our own sin. All the sin mankind had done to that point, all the sin that would ever be committed, he took it so that we can be restored into a right relationship with God. But that is not all. The good news continues. For those who put their faith in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, Romans chapter 5 goes on to say, we are justified. We We have peace with God. We have gained access to God. The hardships that we go through that we don't want to go through, He uses those things to build into us perseverance, perseverance and character and hope, and that hope will not disappoint. God has poured His love into us. Romans chapter six says, "We've been united with Christ and we've been raised to new life. The zipper open, tag cut off, breath back in the lungs, new life for him. We've been set free from sin and death. Sin is no longer our master. That's good news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, eternal life. Romans chapter 8 says there is no, get this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are the children of God. Our present sufferings are not worthy of even comparing to the glory that's coming our way. We have hope in Christ, even in our weakness. We have the spirit of God as a helper. We are of confidence that God is going to work all things for His good, for those who love Him. That is good news, friends, and He's worthy. Romans 8:38, Romans 8:31 to 38. What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? It's good news. He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Right now, the King of Kings... He's talking to his father, saying, pour out your grace, continue to give your love, draw them to yourself, use them for your glory. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, we face death all day long for your sake. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Know in all things... We are, more, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's good news. And just before Paul gets back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he ends chapter 11 saying this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given God that God should repay them? For from him, and through him, and for him are all things... To him be the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Sinners who are guilty, enslaved, hopeless, condemned, dead, but because of God, forgiven, redeemed, justified, free, at peace, in intimate relationship with God, with new purpose, raised to new life, sons and daughters of the Most High, the Beloved of God, protected, secure, and nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. Friends, he is worthy. And that's not all. There is a reality, a factual truth, a certain resolution that cannot change and the whole earth is marching towards that resolution. In Revelation, John describes a vision of the future kingdom of God where every tribe, every tongue, every nation will praise the one who is worthy for eternity. That's a fact. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, we're there. I said to Noah. I said, I, I wonder if I made eye contact with him. This is a real vision. In Revelation chapter four eight it says, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." Revelation four eleven, you are worthy, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they have been created and have their being. Revelation five twelve. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, your living sacrifice is worth it. Why? Because he is worthy. Don't ever forget it for a moment. Who he is and all that he has done for you. Our motivator to be living sacrifices is not obligation. It's not guilt. It's not even repayment. Who can repay the Lord? It's worship. It's a spiritual response. May all we do, all we are, all we say, all we think, all we believe bring him glory, welling up out of informed gratitude and worship for who he is. With all of who God is what he's promised, what he's done, what he will do, clearly in our view, let's set our attention squarely on him and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice of spiritual worship. In the line of work that Noah and I and our team do, we spend a lot of time with young adults who are asking uh, a lot of the same questions that us not young adults are still asking. What am I supposed to do with my life? What is God's will for me? What's my next step? How will I know if it's the right step? No matter the age, the root of a lot of our 35,000 questions and choices that we make every day are rooted there. What am I supposed to do? So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you in view of all that we've been just talking about, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What's interesting to me is that this, the English translation of the, the word spiritual act of worship, and it might be different in your translation, is a little misleading. It's a little unclear. It falls flat for me. I'm not quite sure what that really means. And so, um, make no mistake, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to use Wikipedia. All right. Um, I know how to Google, and so I spent a little time just digging into that phrase and what the original term that Paul would have used in the Greek is. Is the spiritual act of worship is logikos. Logikos. Sound familiar? Like logic, right? It's derived from that original word logic, and we all know what logic is. It's the reasoning with oneself according to a set of principles. In other words, logic is a person taking the time to mentally reason with themselves to draw to a valid conclusion based on the information they've been given. That's logic. For example, you're driving down the road, your car begins to chug and slow down, you look at the dash, you see the, the needle is pegged on E, you reason with, with yourself, and you come to the conclusion that you have a flat tire. No! That's not logical! Logical is you're out of gas, right? Duh! You find, um, you find out that you have a family history of colon cancer. Medical professionals suggest that those with, the, with a family history begin screening every five years before the age of 40. Logic says, keep eating the donuts and stay home. No, schedule the appointment, Right? God's given us a brain. He's given us intelligence. He's given us wisdom from others on every topic known to man. Yet, every day I'm faced with questions as to what to do, and logic just seems to not be enough. Anybody else wrestle with that? How am I supposed to reason out what I'm supposed to do with my life when there are endless possibilities? How am I to know what God will do in the big and small stuff of life? How am I to know what next, God's next steps are for me? I could try logic, but just seems like it's something missing so looking at the original text Paul would have said it like this I encourage you therefore through the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy well pleasing to God whom you serve with your reasoning process of service Logikos. this goes beyond logic alone it's the spiritual act of worship of your reasoning process of service in a living intimate relationship with God This means our free will, our decision-making process, our logic, even our physical action is surrendered in a living sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord, in turn, involves himself in every decision-making process. We're not left alone. We don't have to figure it out by ourselves. We have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's interceding on our behalf right now helping us to make these decisions. The Lord wants to meet us in this process. It's a spiritual act of worship to invite the Lord into the process of decision-making and reasoning it out with Him. Hearing His voice, His word, and His prompting. Let me just show you one verse where this kind of sort of makes sense for me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you know it very well. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Here's how it works. You trust in the one who's trustworthy, who's proven himself to be trustworthy. Don't just merely lean in on your own logic, on your own understanding, on your own principles. Whatever you're doing or about to do, consult with the Most High God. Acknowledge Him and consider. Reason with the Lord His ways of doing things. And you know what will happen? He will make your path straight. Your next step will be clear and obvious. This is your spiritual act of worship. Reasoning with the Lord. Doing whatever He asks. Why? Because He's worth it. He's worthy of your spiritual act of service. This goes against the normal human decision making process. Sometimes the outcome of the process with the Lord seems like foolishness to the world. Have you ever felt that? What do you mean you're going to go to Bible college? Are you going to make any money? No. <laughs> but I trust in the one who owns it all, right? That's why Paul says in verse 2, this stuff doesn't make sense sometimes, so don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind, logikos. The renewing of your mind comes in the spiritual act of worship of reasoning this out with the Lord. It is then and only then you'll be able to test and approve what, is good, what his will is and you'll find that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It may not make sense to the world around you, but it doesn't need to if it makes sense with the King of kings and Lord of lords in your spirit, right? He's worthy. He's worthy of your sacrifice. He's worthy of you giving your life to all throughout history, people like you and me have reasoned with the Lord and found him to be worthy and his will to be worth their life and sacrifice. Jim Elliott reasoned with the Lord and came to the conclusion that bringing the gospel to the Indians was worth it. And he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain when he can't, when he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hudson Taylor reasoned with the Lord and decided taking the gospel to China was worth it, and it resulted in 800 missionaries joining him in the, with the China, China Inland Mission. He said, all, giant, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with him. Catch that? All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. That God was with them and they could do great things even though they were weak. Amy Carmichael reasoned with the Lord and decided taking the gospel to China was worth it and overcoming her frailty and her pain. And after 55 years, she had dedicated her life to ending child prostitution. In 1887, the Swedish Free Church, which would become the Evangelical Free Church of America, sent its first missionary to Canton, China. Hans Van Quallen served faithfully for 20 years, and today, even today, the churches that were started in his ministry are still existing and taking the gospel to people who don't know. And it still continues today with young adults like Kim Larson and Adam Bailey who came with Apex and are now full-time missionaries in Tokyo. There's a newlywed couple who met as staff on the Apex team who just filled out their application to join Reach Global in the Middle East, to take the gospel to people who have never hear, heard. Or our friend Levi, who just spent the summer with us in Berlin and just finished his application to Reach Global. In two weeks, he's going to be at the Moody Missions Conference begging his friends to join him on the mission field. Or what about Sarah, a girl from our youth ministry who decided that sharing Christ with her friends at school was way more important than her social status? Or what about Jim, who has more than enough money in his bank account, reasoned with the Lord and decided to give it to ministry? It doesn't make sense, does it? Makes no sense. But millions of believers throughout history have reasoned with the Lord, and in a spiritual act, they came to the same conclusion: He is worthy, so I will follow. What about you? Are you wrestling with what is your next step with God? Are you conflicted about a big decision? Let me tell you the same advice that Paul gave to the believers at Rome and he's telling us today. Remember your God. Daily revisit and remind yourself of all that he has done, all that he is, all that he's doing and all that he's promised. Steady your soul on those truths and then logikos. Enter into the spiritual, relational reasoning process with the Lord. Listen. Resolve in your heart that he is worth it. And then in an act of worship, do what he's instructed. Life is a matter of choices and every choice you make, makes you. May the people that we are becoming, the choices that we make, the lives that we live, may it all show that we believe that he is worthy. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as your servants, as your children who are begging to know you more. Help us to fix our eyes squarely on you. Help us to remember daily who you are, what you've done and that you are worthy. May our lives prove that we believe that you are worthy. May the actions and the choices we make prove that we love you and that you are more important than any other thing that we would ever give our time and attention to. Lord, as we enter into this reasoning process with you as a spiritual act of worship, I pray that you would speak, that your people would listen, and in doing so, Lord, we would act. And we would act to show the world that you are worthy. Thank you for choosing us, for your love that you've poured out upon us. And may, in an act of worship, may we in an act of worship respond to you and follow you into whatever you ask us to do. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.